You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. All right, good morning and happy Resurrection Sunday. Yeah? Okay, we're going to have to do more than that. We're going to have to do better than that. Um, yeah, happy Resurrection Sunday to you, um, church family, and uh, yeah, okay. And those that are visiting this morning, thank you. It's a it's a pleasure to have you with us this morning. Uh, if you're online this morning, wherever you're listening, um, thank you. Now, this uh, that was some good worship, wasn't it? Amen. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Um, it was. That was some good, good worship. Um, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen, isn't he? Yes, he is. He is. Praise the Lord. Um, well, so this whole week has been, um, for us as a church, I think a very special time uh, celebrating um the death, burial, and resurrection of, of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, so, you know, what a way to culminate it this morning, um, all that's been going on. But for our church, we've been doing something called Love Week this week, as most of you guys know. And we've, we've used this week uh, to try to do several things that can at least begin to show the love of Christ to, to our community and, and the people around us and, and encouraging you as individuals uh, to share the love of Christ, I I, I am thankful for for all the stories um, that I've heard already of of gospel encounters we've had this week. Um, so uh, yeah, it's been a great week. If you were here Friday night, um, what a wonderful night of worship that was, wasn't it? Well, I thought so. Anyway, I I thought it was, and I know you guys did too. But yeah, I mean that was such a blessing to to be together on Good Friday and and, and celebrate together and. Um, hear, hear testimonies and um, communion together and as we celebrate the, the death of Christ. Um, and uh, then yesterday, hopefully, I'll, I know a lot of you got to be a part of the community giveaway. And uh, so I think, I think that people were truly blown away that we were giving away, you know, such good stuff for, for free. And they were like, how much? You know, asked, I got asked a few times how much things cost or whatever, oh, it's free, it's free, and it was, okay, you know, that's, that's weird, and it is weird, and that, are we not called to be weird Christians, yeah, we're, we're called, we're not called to be like everyone else, we're called to be different, and um, I know that, I was here early, early for a couple of hours, and uh, got, even in that time, a few uh, gospel conversations, and I know that many of you guys did too, so, um, what a week it's been, and uh, what a way to to, to uh, celebrate the the source of our greatest hope, and that that's the resurrection of, of Christ. Um, this should be the happiest day of the year for you as a believer. Amen. This should be the happiest day of the year. There's nothing. I know the Easter. You know, like the world has kind of hijacked everything. You know, like they do, and they, you know, whatever. You know, it's fine. But um, let's remember what what this day is about, right? It is about the resurrection of Christ as we're as we're going throughout the day. Let's continue. Let's continue this love week idea every single day of our lives in our personal mission fields as we as we try. We strive to become more and more like Jesus. We strive to to on our mission to become practical missionaries of Jesus Christ. Um, so um, if you will stand with me and, and I'm going to read one more passage. I know we've already read a lot of scripture this morning. Uh, there were so many things I, I wanted to talk about from different accounts, and um, I didn't know how to bring it all together, so I just thought, well, let's just read everything everything there is. And so uh, we've read a lot this morning, but we're going to read in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 3 through 28. 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, 
and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, this is Paul, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether, I, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached, now if, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now, don't you love those buts in Scripture? But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, those, are who, those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that, he, that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Pray with me this morning. Father, we, we come to you this morning and just thank you for sending Jesus, Lord. We, we thank you. We thank you that he became our sin, Lord, on the cross. We thank you that in him we can have our sins forgiven. Lord, and each of us knows we sin. Lord, we thank you that we can have our sins forgiven in him. Lord, we thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. And proving to us that we have an eternal hope, Lord, that our sins are forgiven if we're in him, Lord. We just give you all praise and glory and honor this morning. We ask that you would be honored. We ask that you would move um, all the distractions out of this room, Lord. And that you would be glorified. God, that you would speak through me this morning. Your word to your people. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Well, the event that we are celebrating today is is just that. It is an historical event, and it's the most important historical event that has ever happened. Okay, um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has it absolutely turned the world upside down, right? And if you're a believer this morning, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has turned your life upside down. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Nathan. Yes. If you're if you're truly living in Christ this morning, Jesus has wrecked you. Uh, you're not the same as you once were. The resurrection of Christ has done something in you. He has changed you. He has turned your world upside down. Paul says it here in First Corinthians, and we're not going to 
We're not going to exegete this whole uh, scripture this morning um, like we normally do. But he says here in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not risen from the dead, we as Christians are of all men the most pitiable. Because if he hasn't risen from the dead and you're living for Jesus, you are wasting your life. There's, there's no like, consolation prize. Well, there's just no consolation prize. Um, it, you are wasting your life if you're living for Jesus and Jesus has not risen from the dead. The Bible is worthless. Christianity is pointless if Christ has not risen from the dead. But, as Paul puts it in verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead this morning. And that's why this ought to be the greatest day of the year uh, for any true believer in Christ. Um, I mean, you know, forget the Easter eggs and the, the dinners and the, the, even the, time, the good times spent with, with families that we'll have probably this afternoon uh, whom we love. Uh, but this day is about Jesus Christ. Our living Savior. Our living Savior and the hope that that brings us. Um, yet, yet there are more, many this morning uh, throughout the world and perhaps even in this room or, or listening to this who would say, I don't, I don't believe in the resurrection. I don't believe that a, a man really rose from the dead. Come on, are you kidding me? And, and there are still many, many more than that who would say, yes, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but... Uh, if you were to look at their lives, it would scream a totally different story. For many who say they believe, uh, the resurrection has had no effect on their lives. And so this morning, th- those are the two things I'd really like to address as we look at, at evidence of the resurrection and implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I couldn't s- decide which route to go, so I just went both routes this morning, so... Uh, you're in for a, a very long treat, so praise the Lord. Right now, I'm just kidding. It'll be normal. It'll be normal, but uh, now this morning, uh, we, we really only have time to barely scratch the surface of the evidence for the resurrection, but, um, you know, in pulling all the evidence that, that, that we have available to us um, that has been presented throughout the centuries, and there's been plenty of time for the world to present evidence. Would you agree with that? There's been 2,000 years to prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead. But to me, in pulling all of the available evidence that we have, there is only one logical, I said logical, conclusion that can be drawn about this this Easter business, and that is that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead, just as he said he would, and just as the Bible records. Again, the world has had 2,000 years and has still fallen short of coming even remotely close to disproving the resurrection of Christ. You know, the History Channel really does their best. They give it their best go this week. I got, you know, if you've been watching the History Channel, you've seen a lot of heresy, right? Uh, they, they give it their best try to try to discount Jesus. They'll do everything they can do. Um, but the possible solutions they come up with to try to explain this event away are, are laughable, to be honest. They're laughable, and we won't have a whole lot of time to cover those. We'll just mention, mention some of those in passing. But again, you have got to do something with Jesus. Every human, has you've got to do something with Jesus. And so the world will come up with about anything they can to explain this guy away. And you must do something with Jesus because there are a few historical facts that Virtually all scholars, Christian and non-Christian, agree upon. First of all, the existence of Jesus. Virtually all scholars agree on Jesus' existence. In fact, if you want to have a serious discussion with scholars, atheist scholars for that matter, and you lead with, well, Jesus didn't really exist. They are going to laugh you out of the room. I'm talking about atheists here. I'm not talking about Christians. It is a ridiculous claim that Jesus did not exist. He absolutely existed. Secondly, virtually all scholars believe that Jesus was crucified on the cross. 
You realize that? Non-Christian scholars believe that Jesus was crucified on the cross. Bart Ehrman, he is probably the leading voice among scholars who do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's not a Christian. And he said this, one of the most certain facts of history is that Jesus was crucified on orders of the Roman prefect of Judea, Pontius Pilate. Think of that. The leading anti-Christian scholar says it is an absolute fact that Jesus was crucified and he was crucified under Pilate, just like the Bible says. Thirdly, it is not disputed that Jesus' disciples believed that he rose from the dead and he appeared to them. The world will give you that one too. It's, it's absolutely everyone believes that his disciples, his followers, these were real people and they really believed that Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to them. That's what started Christianity. It wasn't Christianity and then God, let's make up this thing where Jesus rose from the dead. No one would say that. Not scholars anyway. The resurrection happened and then Christianity happened. That's how this works. Scholars agree on this. These were real people. They really believed this. And then lastly, um, it's not really a debated thing that there was an empty tomb. Okay, and this is where um, you know, most scholars agree there, there was, and when I say most, I mean the vast, vast, vast majority of scholars believe that there was an empty tomb associated with Jesus And that's where these ridiculous theories come into play. And feel free to laugh at these if you'd like. There's the swoon theory first. This is that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, right? Under these these trained Roman killers. The most brutal empire in history. Uh, Jesus, you know what? He was just kind of swooning. He was a little woozy. And then he popped out of the grave. That's what he did. And then he came to the, the disciples and he was like, all authority is all authority is given to me on oh, hang on on heaven in heaven and on earth i mean come on jesus died on the cross that is clear no one could suffer the things that jesus suffered and live for it live from it live after it um, they crucified him. They pierced him through his side. And the blood and water poured out. The water probably came from his heart. The pericardium filled with water. And you're not going to live after that, by the way. Even if he happened to be alive. Oh, no, he was just woozy. And so the tomb was empty because he was alive. I mean, he never died. Duh. That's what the world wants us to believe. Okay. Uh, now, there's this... This, uh, there's another one, the twin theory, and uh, this is that Jesus was replaced by a lookalike. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely crazy. Uh, there's the hallucination theory that everyone who saw Jesus alive, they all had the same hallucination, right? It was just a hallucination. They were all on drugs, I guess, and the, I guess the same drug. They had exactly the same drug. You know, if two people take LSD, they're probably going to have different hallucinations right i mean that's just how it works you don't have the same hallucination 500 people at once and many others in in several different accounts it's crazy to think this hallucination theory would hold any weight there's a theory that the gardener moved the body well maybe the gardener moved the body okay and then finally there's the original skeptic theory uh, recorded for us in the New Testament. This was the first uh, theory that Jesus' body was stolen by his disciples. They overcome, they overcame the Roman guard and they stole his body out of the tomb. Uh, this one is actually recorded in the Talmud, which, which is, are, are Jewish holy writings, not Christian writings, Jewish writings. They record there that, that Jesus' body was stolen by his followers. Um, by the way, that means that the Jews affirmed that the tomb was empty. That's interesting, right? 
The Jews, they're not trying to say, no, there's a body in the grave. We're just not really sure where it's at, where the, the grave is. No one's trying to say the tomb wasn't empty. The Jews who have the most stake in this, they really need Jesus not to be alive if they want to hold on to that religion. Um, they say, no, the tomb was empty, but the body was stolen. Okay? They admit the empty tomb. So since, since there is so much agreement on these historical facts, he existed, he was crucified, his followers believed he rose, the tomb was empty. Since those aren't really debated things, you've got to do something with Jesus. And so as we move through uh, more evidence, I, I want to look at, at, at three points here. Early, early and multiple attestations, embarrassing testimony, and extraordinary transformations. Let, let's look at the attestations first. Now, it's important to remember um, that unlike so many religious books, the Bible is not just one lengthy scroll written by the same man. Okay, that's the way a lot of religious books are. That's not the Bible. Remember, the Bible has over 40 different authors written on three different continents over 1,500 years with one central message. And that's the redemption we have in Christ. And the New Testament is a collection of these multiple eyewitness accounts. Okay, it's not like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is one thing. Those are four separate documents not related and yet very much related um these are men who who claimed to have seen this with their own eyes they claim to be eyewitnesses um and by the way these documents that i'm talking about these are the most well-documented pieces of ancient literature that we have we talked about that a few weeks ago the most documented uh, pieces of ancient literature and so we have in the New Testament, in regards to the resurrection, at least seven different sources for these accounts. We have Matthew, we have Mark, we have Luke, we have John. We have Mark's source, which he talks about. We have Luke's source, which he talks about. And then we have Paul, who also saw the risen Christ and wrote it down. These were the sources for this material on the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. That's pretty strong. That's enough to lock anybody up, by the way. Um, seven witnesses to this resurrection, uh, seven sources for these eyewitness accounts. Not only that, but we have manuscripts for all of these which uh, fall within the, the first century. Manuscripts which date within the first century. Um, in these verses we just read in 1 Corinthians, verses 3 through 5, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. Most scholars agree um, that this was the earliest Christian creed, uh, and it dates back to about the mid-30s. The mid-30s, so this is right after. This is within five years of when this happened. They were believing in the resurrection, right? It is clear um, that it was the belief in the resurrection that started Christianity not that Christians made up the resurrection story later. Um, we have very early and very often attestations. In the same passage, Paul says that, that Jesus appeared to over 500 followers at once and says that they were alive at the time of his writing. A lot of these are alive. He says, go ask them. Just go ask one of them. Like, they're all, most of them are alive. Some have fallen asleep, he says, but most are alive. Now, that's something historians look at. That's verifiable evidence. Paul is challenging his readers, go ask one of them. There's plenty of people alive that have seen this. And you can talk to them about it. And then in the Old Testament, and I wish we could get into this more, the prophecy. We have an even earlier testimony to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in great, great detail, we talk about um, this prophecy of the Old Testament a lot here. But please go back and read. Uh, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, that, that's a good starting point at least to see in great detail the cross. Very much detail, these events. Uh, they were predicted hundreds of years prior. And, and again, I wish we had more time to look at that. By the way, the Old Testament was in print at least 150 years before Christ. 
That's not debatable. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you guys have heard of that, has a full, uh, a full scroll of Isaiah, all 66 bo- uh, chapters. And it dates to 150 years before Christ. So Isaiah wasn't some later work written by the apostles to to go with what they were writing at the time. Isaiah was in print 150 years and 150 years before there was predicted in great, great, great detail what Christ would suffer. It's unbelievable. We have an embarrassment of riches, as I've heard one scholar describe it, concerning the attestations of these events. It is crazy how much God has given us in terms of evidence. Um, And next, let's look at the embarrassing testimony of the New Testament, how it proves the resurrection. And the most embarrassing piece of evidence for the resurrection of Christ is that it's reported that women were the first witnesses. Now, hold your fire, ladies. This isn't me talking. I am not saying that. Uh, The first century is saying that. This is first century Judaism. Women were seen as worthless testimony. Worthless testimony. That's how women were seen. Of course, we know that is wrong. That is how they were seen, though, in the first century. In fact, Josephus, he's a first century Jewish historian, um, and he was uh, not a Christian. He records that women were too lightheaded and brash to be credible witnesses. This was just a general idea at the time. It wasn't just the Jews who thought this, but Gentile historians record the same thing. Women were not considered reliable witnesses in the first century. Now, as we've read this morning, who were the first people to see Jesus after he rose? They weren't men. They were these worthless women, as the, as the first century would say. They were these worthless women. Um, that shows you, one, how much Jesus, I think, values women, by the way. Christianity, t- again, turned turn the world upside down and how we value women. Christianity is, uh, is the farthest thing from oppressive to women. Not if we understand the Bible rightly. Absolutely not. It's empowering to women, in fact. But this would have been an absolutely terrible testimony in the first century. If you want someone to believe what you're writing, do not say that women were the first to see it happen. Not in the first century. And even Luke records as much. This is kind of embarrassing, but in, we read it earlier in 24, 11, Their words seemed to the disciples like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Ouch, disciples. Even the disciples didn't believe. The point is that if you were making up this narrative, you would be crazy to say that women saw it first. It was embarrassing. And I'm sure, actually, the disciples would have liked to change it. They would have liked to have been different. But the facts were the facts. And it becomes strong evidence that this actually happened. More embarrassment. All the Gospels record that as soon as Jesus was arrested, what did the disciples do? All the disciples or all the gospels report they forsook, they forsook him and they fled. All the disciples. They were scared for their lives. If you were writing a hero story, like a story to, to you know, get yourself fame, do you think you would write that? Yeah, Jesus died and I was terrified. Uh, what we read this morning is that they hid behind a locked door, right? They were just scared men, scared for their lives, because guess what? They saw what happened to Jesus. Or they were about to see what happened, what was going to happen to Jesus. They knew how brutal the Romans were. What about Peter? He denied Jesus three times. I wouldn't write that about myself if I was trying to be the hero. If I was trying to have any fame in this. What were they trying to gain by writing these things? They record that Jesus told them he would rise from the dead. Even the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they knew that he said this because that's exactly why they asked Pilate to guard the tomb with the Roman guard. 
because Jesus said he was he was going to rise from the dead. Jesus told them exactly what he would do. But his disciples, once he died, once he um, once he was arrested and crucified, they didn't believe it. And they were scared to death. How embarrassing for them. But that's what happened. And so they wrote it down. And the embarrassment is a testimony to the truth of what they wrote. And then finally, the last piece of evidence I want to consider this morning is that the evidence of extraordinary transformation. It was embarrassing what the disciples recorded about themselves. They were so clueless, really, throughout Jesus' ministry. And, I mean, really, they don't do themselves any favors in the gospel, do they? Every page we're reading through John, and we're like, how could they not get this? Like, really, disciples? Are you kidding me? Um, absolutely embarrassing stuff they're writing about themselves. Clueless. Then they were scared for their lives with no hope, all depressed, scared to death after his death. They weren't anticipating the resurrection at all. And then all of a sudden, they changed. All of a sudden, one day, they changed radically. They went from being scared for their lives to what the world would call careless with their lives. They, they went from, from hiding in, behind a locked door to proclaiming the good news about Jesus everywhere and to everyone. They went from being cowards to being gladly beaten for their faith in the resurrection. All but one of the remaining 11 disciples died. They suffered, suffered terrible deaths for the sake of this gospel. They didn't gain a thing by writing these things. Stoning, being dragged through the streets, crucifixion. John was the lucky one, and he got cast off to an island, so that was, that was his reward for, for staying alive, right? Uh, what happened to these men? And their universal testimony is that it was the resurrection of Christ that happened to them and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. They could not unsee what they had seen. And they were willing to pay whatever cost it took to stand for this witness. Now, people do die for lies all the time. Okay, think of uh, 9-11, right? Running an airplane into a building um, for a lie. People die for lies all the time. But people don't die for lies that they made up. And that they know are lies. Okay, the, the bombers, or, I mean the, uh, the, the, uh, the terrorists of, of 9-11, they thought Muhammad's word was true. They didn't know it was a lie. They know now, of course. They thought it was true. And so they gave their lives for it. These men would have had to write these lies and then die for them. That is insanity. That is absolute insanity. Nobody dies for something they know is a lie. And they would have absolutely known and they would have written these lies knowing what was coming for them. Seeing what happened to Jesus. They would have known they were next. But they weren't the only ones who were changed. What about Jesus' brothers? We already read in our study through John that they did not believe in Jesus. In fact, they mocked Jesus. They rejected him. But then Jesus dies. And then something happened to them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 here that we read that the risen Jesus appeared to James and he suddenly believed. They went from hating their brother, thinking he was a lunatic, to suffering for the fact that he rose from the dead. Again, they, they just they couldn't unsee what they had seen. And then finally, Paul, formerly Saul, he records here an in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, that he considered himself the least of the apostles because he persecuted the church of God. Remember, it was Saul who held the coats as Stephen was stoned to death in Acts 7. And in Acts 3, um, we learn that he made havoc of the church 
entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. This was Paul, Saul. Next thing you know, he is the greatest missionary for Jesus who ever lived. What happened to Paul? Well, Acts 9 happened to Paul. The risen Christ appeared to Paul. And it changed him forever. He went from disciple hunter to disciple maker immediately. He became the one who would write these words, to live is Christ. My life is Christ. That is the only purpose there is, is Christ. And to die is gain. That is this murderer of Christians. And ultimately he would be beheaded for the cause of Jesus. Why? Because the resurrection of Christ is real. And when we come to him for salvation, he makes us a new creation. It's supernatural. It's weird to the world. It may even be weird to you when it happens. But it cannot be denied. And Friday we got to, we got to hear Nathan's story of, of this same kind of transformation in Christ. He went from, from chief sin, sinner to hating sin and cherishing Jesus. And I hope that you can say the same this morning. That the resurrection has done something in you as well. There's something about Jesus that fundamentally changes us if we truly come to Him. And it's His resurrection power living within us. And that's a piece of evidence that the world could never even try to dispute. Your testimony in Christ. The testimony of a supernaturally changed life, it cannot be disputed. What else could it be? What is that? And we cannot dispute what has happened to the disciples here. What happened to Paul. That's just what Jesus does. Now there's so much more evidence that we could discuss. But we're going to leave it there this morning. So that we can, uh, uh, we can look at, at some of the implications of the resurrection. Because it doesn't matter if Christ is risen. If it makes no difference in your life. It does not matter if Christ is risen, if it makes no difference to the world. Like if it's just if it's of no consequence, who cares? But the fact is that it does make an unbelievable difference for us as believers. Let's look at that and let's look first at our impeccable standing. If Christ is risen from the dead. And we have placed our trust in Him by repentance of sin and surrendering to Him as Master, as Lord. We now have an impeccable standing before God. This is something to celebrate. This is something to celebrate. If you are in Christ, you are perfect before God. There is no judgment on you. There is no condemnation on you. If you are in Christ this morning, he looks at you and he sees perfection. Even if you sinned last night. Even if you sinned this morning. Even if you go on and you hear this and you go sin right after this. If you truly are in Christ, you are perfect in his eyes. That's something to celebrate, amen? Romans 4, 25, it says that Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. And my goodness, was that brutal or what? I I watched the the Passion of the Christ this week. Um, I I try to do that every Easter or at least close to every Easter to just kind of remember. You know, it's not perfect, of course, but just to remember the brutality of what Jesus went through for our sin. For my sin. He was beaten severely. He was spat upon, mocked, bloody beyond belief. And as bad as that movie is, I don't even think it does it justice. What Jesus really 
looked like. Humiliated. Nailed through his hands and his feet. Pierced through his side. Yet he said not a word. For our sake. So that he could take upon the sin of the world. And die for it. Fulfilling the wrath that God has towards our sin. If Jesus is not precious to you, I think it's because you don't take sin seriously enough in your life. If you're sitting there this morning and it's like, I just can't get excited about the resurrection. Wake up! Understand what it cost Jesus to pay for your sin. Understand what it cost God the Father to watch His Son suffer this. Do we take sin seriously enough in our lives? I don't think any of us really do. But you're never going to be saved if you don't begin to realize what your sin has done. And you will die in your sin. Jesus has paid it all. And it was brutal. He was delivered up because of our offenses. But then that verse says he was raised because of our justification. Now on the cross, Jesus became sin and he died for sin. He put sin to death. The resurrection Was God the Father proclaiming, I accept this sacrifice. It is paid in full. I accept Jesus' sacrifice. It is the perfect sacrifice. Sin is done away with. That's what the resurrection was all about. If Jesus didn't rise, we're still in our sins. Because he's just a guy that died. But God raised him up to prove That everything he said was true. He raised him up to prove that the penalty for sin has been paid in full in Jesus. Amen. It's been paid in full in Jesus. And now we can be justified by him. Justification. Raised for our justification. That means his perfect life can be placed on us. Just given to us. Just imputed to us as the Bible calls it. Just absolutely. Here you go. You're perfect now. You're perfect now. I know how screwed up you are. But you're perfect now. Because of Jesus. He lived the life that we could not live. And then he just gave it to us. He said, I'll take that sin. And I will defeat it. I will be the perfect sacrifice and God will be pleased with it. And he was and he proved that by raising him up from the dead. His perfection is placed on us. It's imputed to us. He gets our sin and shame. We get this perfect, impeccable standing before God. That he earned. Like that song says. Why should I gain. From his reward. I cannot give an answer. But because he lives. I am perfect. Before God. I'm not perfect. But I'm perfect before God. Praise the Lord. Because I'm in Christ. We have an impeccable stand. And we also have incredible hope. Incredible hope. One of the things Jesus said in John 14, verses 2 and 3, is that He goes to prepare a place for us. He goes to prepare a place for those who believe. And He will come again and receive us unto Himself. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that all shall be made alive. He goes on to say, and we didn't read this part, but that we will have these new, perfect 
bodies in heaven. Because Jesus is risen, we have incredible hope for our future. And it's a sure hope. The hope of heaven with Him. And we will be able to examine for ourselves those nail-scarred hands. We'll be like Thomas. You know, we'll get to, we'll get to touch the nail-scarred hands. We'll get to touch His side where He was pierced for us. And we'll get to live with Him forever in paradise. If Jesus rose from the dead, then everything He said is absolutely true. And that means He is preparing a place for us right now. And He is at the Father's right hand. He's interceding for us right now. And He will come back someday to get us. It also means that all will bow to Him. Now or later. All will bow to Jesus. This is the hope for which the disciples knew was worth dying. This hope of heaven. This is the hope that has brought many martyrs over the centuries to the stake, to the cross, to the rope, to the sword, singing His praises. Go ahead, burn me alive. I am in Jesus, and you cannot take my hope, my sure hope, and in moments I'll be with Him. That's how they thought. In moments I will be with Him in person. I'll see the nail-scarred hands. And I pray that this is the hope that is helping you persevere this morning. Helping you press into Him. Press into His church. Even though you may be going through the most difficult days of your life. You know that there is hope around the corner. Because you know that He lives. What a hope we have in Christ. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. No matter what tomorrow might bring. Only in Christ can we say that. There is no hope in any other religion that says you can probably be good enough. You can probably be good enough to work your way up. Are you kidding? No, you can't. You've already blew that when you were two. You cannot do it. We must have His death covering our sins. And because He rose from the dead, we have incredible hope. We also have an empowered existence. I have to admit, when I, before I wrote this down, I thought empowered started with an I. And I kind of blew it. So we're going to go with it anyway. If you know Jesus personally this morning, have you considered lately that this same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you? Have you, have you considered that? I know you know that. Have you really considered that lately? Have you dwelt on that lately? Your body is the temple of this same Holy Spirit. And that power is applicable to every aspect of our lives. He is the power who reminds us of that incredible hope that we have. He is the power who comforts our hearts. Have you ever been comforted by the Holy Spirit? I mean, things are just, your life is wrecked, but He comforts you. And, you know, people say, he, he holds me. You know, it's just obviously a, a metaphor, but he, it feels like He holds you, you know? He just comforts you. It's supernatural. He comforts our hearts, that power. He holds us through the suffering of this life. We have power over suffering because we have power over the grave. Nothing we go through can, can take our eternity from us. Nothing you go through. He's also the power that we have over sin in our lives. 
Before Christ, we were just slaves to our sin. That was what, what we talked about last week, being slaves to sin. And we seem to just be under this spell of the deceitfulness of sin. I just keep falling for it time and time again. I keep being pulled towards the things that are sin. The things that don't bring Him glory. It's so deceitful. We think it's going to bring us hope. And then it doesn't. We're slaves to sin. And if we're honest, before Christ, we we didn't really want a God controlling what we do. We kind of like doing our own thing. And if we're honest, even as believers, sometimes when Jesus convicts us through his word, we go back to that. And we think, I, I don't really want a God telling me what to do right now. That flesh kind of creeps up and says, I don't, I don't need the word telling me this. I think I have a better direction to go and I think I'll go that direction I don't agree that I need to change in this area I'll just hang on to what feels right you ever done that as a believer even I know you have I know I have but see through his spirit we have power over that if we will submit to his spirit in our lives the problem is we're not interested in that sometimes we're not interested in, in, in coming back to Him in repentance and saying, once again, Lord, lead me through Your Spirit. And coming back to His Word and reading His Word and just obeying the next thing that His Word says. Knowing and believing that that is where we will find life. And when we do it, we find life. It's funny. We don't think we're going to find life, but we find life. That's just how it works. It's not intuitive. None of this is intuitive to us. A guy coming out of a grave? Are you kidding me? That's not intuitive. It's all supernatural, crazy stuff that happens in us when we will take God at His word because His word is true because He rose from the dead. His word has to be true. Even if I don't agree with it. Jesus defeated the penalty of sin by his death and resurrection. So in Christ, you never have to worry about that again. But he has also given you power over sin to walk in his ways of life through his death and resurrection. You have power. Just submit to the power that you have. In obedience. And you will see that power begin to shine through your life. Sin has no power over the believer. There's no power in death. There's no power in sin now. And there's no sin in your life that walking in His Spirit will not overcome. None. I don't care what it is. There is none. There is no relationship that cannot be restored. There is no life that cannot be made whole in Christ. There is always hope. But we must realize that we have an empowered existence. We are not helpless against sin. We have everything we need to not chase those things any longer. We can be set free because of the resurrection. There's no addiction, no impure desire. No past guilt and shame, no anger issue, no forgiveness issue, no nothing that the Spirit of God cannot give you victory over if you will walk in Him this morning. Are you walking in that power this morning? You know it's true. You know He rose from the dead. Weird as it is, you know it's true. You know that He said that He would send His Spirit to live in you. Same Spirit that raised Him from the dead. You know the power you have in you. It's His power. Not yours. Don't get it twisted. It's just Him living in you. 
Are you walking in that power? You don't have to. But that is where you will find life. Make no mistake. That is where you will find life and you will find it nowhere else. The resurrection also gives us great power for ministry. What can anyone do to us that will separate us from Christ? My eternity is sealed in him. So I can have extreme, radical boldness to speak for him, right? Right? We can have extreme boldness to speak for him. We ought to, but again, we don't walk in this power many times. And we become again enslaved to fear in our lives. But in Christ, whom shall we fear? So what is it that he would have you do for the kingdom? I know he would have you talk to your neighbors about Jesus. And by neighbor, I mean everyone. I know that he would have you do that. Because it was his last command, right? Talked about that a few weeks ago too. It was the last thing he said on this earth. Go and make disciples. If we as believers are not making disciples in our lives. I don't care what your career is. I don't care how well put together your family is. If you as a believer are not making disciples in your life. You are wasting your life. And we're going to have a lot of explaining to do with this power that he's given us. And we just throw it to the side and say, I'm just going to do my thing. And then, you know, if the perfect, absolutely perfect opportunity comes across, maybe I'll say a little something about Jesus, but I don't want to offend anybody. Are you kidding me? With the power that we've been given, we have a new, empowered existence and finally that means each of us has an individual choice to make if the resurrection of jesus christ really happened and it did then every word he said is true and we must all decide what we're going to do about it what are we going to do about it you can't or you can actually ignore the evidence of the resurrection you can continue to to rationalize your life you can continue to pretend that you're okay or, or that eternity doesn't really matter or that all religions are just the same thing or whatever. But the resurrection of Christ really doesn't allow for that. Um, we saw Jesus tell the Pharisees a couple of weeks ago in John 8 that they would die in their sins if they did not believe that He is who He says He is. We saw in John 3 that He did not come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why Jesus came the first time. He came that the world through him might be saved. Jesus wants to save you this morning if you don't know him. But the first step is understanding why do I need to be saved? And the Bible says that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's standard. That means we have no entry to heaven. We can't be with him. We fall short of his standard. His standard is perfection. That same perfection that's been placed on us as believers. That's the standard. We meet it now. If you're not in Christ, you do not meet it. I don't care how good of a person you think you are. You do not meet it. And that payment for your sin will be eternal death. Eternal separation from God's love. You will face the wrath of God for eternity. If your sins are not forgiven. But Jesus has come to make forgiveness possible through his blood, through his resurrection. The first time Jesus came, he came to provide salvation. He said that the next time he comes, he will come in judgment. He says here in verse Corinthians 15, we just read it. He's going to come to put an end to death. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. He's going to come to put all things under his feet. He's going to come to put all enemies under his feet. When he comes back, that is his agenda. It is judgment time. He has provided the sacrifice. Just come. 
Just come. All can come. Just come. What are you waiting on? Just come. Because when he comes back, there will be no more chances. He's coming to put his enemies under his feet forever. Boy, that is amazing hope for us that trust in him. We're going to reign with him. And no more suffering. And no more pain. And no more loved ones getting sick and, and, and dying and having to suffer through that. And no more death. For one who rejects, this is terrifying. The Bible calls us enemies of Christ if you have sinned once. You're an enemy of Christ. Living in a state of sin without Christ. And this passage says that all of Christ's enemies will be trampled under his feet. Time is now to come. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to close in this song. but He will judge sin. Because God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He has to punish our sin. But He has given us the free escape. Through Jesus' blood. Jesus was punished for us. And he bids each of us to come. I want to ask you to, to see Christ for who he really is this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes as we consider these things. Consider the evidences for the resurrection. Consider the, the implications. What does that mean in my life this morning? If you're not a believer, I hope it means that today is the day you're going to come. And surrender to this one who has paid the ultimate price for you so that you can be saved, so that you can have your sins forgiven. We have, we have an unbelievable amount of evidence. 2,000 years later, we have an unbelievable amount of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know it's a miracle. I know it's unbelievable. And yet all the evidence points to it. All of it. But guess what? You can be convinced intellectually this morning and still reject His provision. Because if you're honest, you, you, you like being your own God. And you don't want any other authority but yourself telling you what to do. You can know that Jesus was raised from the dead and still spend eternity in hell. Because out of stubborn pride, he has not been made Lord of your life. That's master of your life. He cannot be just Savior for you. He must be Savior and Lord. Or he's not Savior. He must be master too. Is he going to be master of your life this morning? Come and surrender now to Him. Please, if you don't know Him, please, I beg you. And let this be the greatest Easter Sunday of all time for you. When you come, there is forgiveness. There is new hope. There is new power. All things are made new in Jesus. Come this morning to Him to have life. And you do that by repentance of sin. Repenting of your sin. And surrendering to Him. My life is yours, Jesus. Take it. My life is yours, Jesus. Take it. My life is yours. I don't want to be boss anymore. You be boss. You begin to pick up His Word. And read it. And obey it. And you'll have power to do that. Through the Holy Spirit. Christians, I hope that you are living in the power of the resurrection this morning. Because he is alive, there is no need for the Christian to live in sin. 
There is no need for the Christian to live in fear. There is no need for the Christian to live in guilt or shame. And there's no need for the Christian to live without hope, sure hope of that future resurrection for you. He has conquered all of that. And He lives in you this morning. Be confident in Jesus as we walk out of here this morning if you know Him. And be confident to claim power over sin in your life. And be confident to proclaim His name to everyone. There's nothing else that matters more than this. Let this wake us up this morning. We cannot stay silent about the resurrection of Jesus. Be changed this morning, Christian. If you need to be changed. If you're not living in this power. Understand what you're forsaking right now. What a day to come and be renewed. Hopefully renewed this morning by the word. And reminded of the power that the resurrection brings. Amen. Now what will you do with that power? That's what I'll leave you with. What will you do with that power of the resurrection? Will today be a turning point for you? As a non-Christian, maybe maybe you come to new life in Christ. Or even as a Christian, today's a turning point for you. When you start to really take the resurrection of Jesus Christ seriously in your life, will you do that this morning? I'm going to be quiet and let you consider these things for a moment. And then Drew's going to lead us in a song.